Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Doc Wasabasco, fake doctor but real burlesque kingpin hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Doc is the host and producer for a burlesque company which he's come to emblemize. On his humble beginnings in burlesque and the origin of Wasabasco Entertainment and Showcases, which is closely tied to Andy Heidel and the Waystation, Doc chats about how he had to overcome tremendous stage fright and how he wasn't always comfortable behind a microphone. He chats about the variety of shows and themes that Wasabasco has tackled over the years, the New York burlesque community, as well as the agents of Wasabasco, a tight and supportive community within the company. Finally, with a word or two on Matt's involvement with Wasabasco as a DJ and some gabbing about movies and comics, here's presenting Matt Storm and Doc Wasabasco. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. My guest this week is the one and only Doc Wasabasco. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, me and Doc have a long history of knowing each other from a nerd bar. We met at a screening of Westworld making fun of someone's mustache, the lead actor whose name I don't remember in that terrible... Because all you remember is Yul Brenner and he doesn't have any hair at all. None. He's completely hairless and the villain. I don't even in fact remember anyone with a mustache. Now I'm trying to picture Yul Brenner with a mustache. <laughs> no, it wasn't Yul Brenner. I'm pretty sure. Um, one of the many Michael Crichton terrible movie adaptations. And then you, you don't think he's been making that long. And then Westworld's 70s, right? So yeah. So we've... Decades... Your lifetime of bad Michael <laughs> Crichton films. Yeah, it's true. Although I like Jurassic Park. That's probably the only of any of them I've actually liked. But the book was still it's better. like 12 of those now, right? Yeah, uh, 12 Jurassic Parks. Yeah, they keep, they'll keep making them as long as Chris Pratt wants to do them, I think, at this point. Because he's dreamy. He is dreamy. Um, so, uh, of course, for those who don't know who've been on Rock for all of the podcasts I've done, uh, I've been doing sound for Doc and for Wasabasco for quite some time now. Um, I think... It's been since at least the third annual um, Redhead show, and I don't know how... We just did six. So, at least three years. I think longer, though. Maybe four? I want to say four. I think it's been four. The first show I ever did sound for, because I'd done The Door a couple times, the first show I did sound for was the 4th of July, the America Fuck Yeah show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that you've been doing it for four years. Yeah. Well, but if I'll, you want to pad out your resume, it's, I'm okay with it. I will. When I go... 17 years. We've been only been around for 12, <laughs> but you've been doing it for 17 of those 12 years. So I'd love to share with the listeners a little bit about how you got your start in burlesque as a burlesque kingpin. It's tied into the nerd bar. Yeah. Because it's all Anders... Heidel's fault, the <laughs> proprietor of the the way station. It's for, fun to blame him for stuff. He's responsible for a lot of bad and brilliant ideas in that's equal true. measure, and that's the thing. Every you know, he has like ten bad ideas, but he has ten really good ones. Yes, and we're all making a living off his good ideas, so you can't complain about the bad ones. Um, no, I was um, I was a uh, illustrator. I was a cartoonist, and at the time, Anders was a publicist, and uh, we've known each other since high school. So we'd already known each other for a long, long time, and um, he got the idea that he, we would have a gallery show of my artwork here in here in Brooklyn. And when I say gallery show, we mean there was wall space at a bar, <laughs> and we were going to hang some of my pinup art uh, on the wall at this bar, and that seemed like a good idea. And um, then he decided that we, we should have a PR stunt, so we would have a burlesque show, uh, um, and and that would be uh, the the... The event that would get all this excitement up for the artwork. And, and of course, what ended up happening is the burlesque show ended up being lots and lots of fun. And uh, totally forgot about the gallery show. <laughs> hung it, hung over the next day. Yeah. Ate cheese and crackers and wine for 20 minutes and then went home and slept it off. But uh, the burlesque show was really good. Oh, well, that's good. And, and then we had a second one and, uh, and a third one. That's almost the origin of it. I just realized that is, in fact, the origin of Wasabasco. It's not my first... Uh, uh, step into the world of burlesque. Yeah, the, my first thing I ever did with burlesque was uh, I, I was friends at, at a time with Kelly Sue DeConnick mm-hmm. of comic book fame and fortune, and uh, she had uh, decided to do a comic strip about burlesque. Okay, and I think we ended up doing one page, like a single, like 
you know, a, a single page comic strip about what we thought burlesque was, getting it all wrong. <laughs> of course, sure. And uh, I think it appeared in a zine. So, so that cool. was that's actually my first Your burlesque first. experience. So you were so you were our illustrator. Um, is that what you went to school for? Yeah. Back in the day. No, I I was determined from before I can remember that that was what I was going to do with my life, and it turns out that I wasn't really exceptional at it. I I, uh, <laughs> I was fine. I was yeah. okay at it. My life's work, and uh, <laughs> and then I found this second thing that ended up taking over completely. I'm much happier now. I would imagine. Well, yeah. as we're talking in your lovely apartment in Brooklyn, the wall is covered with wonderful naked ladies. That is the wall of naked friends. The yeah. wall of naked friends, which I mean, if you can't have your friends naked on your wall, what can you have? But you just, you need to have the right friends. Well, that's, that's also true. This is not true. I have very uh, many excellent, excellent friends I don't want to see naked. That's true. But most of my friends are beautiful, talented uh, ladies and men. And, uh, and when we get pictures of them and we put them on the wall, it's a wall of fame. Um, so I imagine the minute you started doing burlesque and, and hosting and being Doc Wasabasco, uh, becoming this kingpin of burlesque, you were instantly great on the microphone and completely charismatic. Uh, I'm still not good <laughs> on the microphone. <laughs> That's uh, We can tell now. Uh, no, I in fact uh, had crippling stage fright. Like, like I didn't like talking to people, let alone on, <laughs> like on stage. I didn't. Uh, I didn't talk to anyone for the first year we were doing it. And oh, wow. Anders was my partner for the first six to nine months. And he would talk to everyone. He would charm <laughs> everyone. And I would stand behind him, make business decisions. I don't know why I slurred that. Business decisions. <laughs> and I would lean over and, t and whisper in his ear, we should do this and that. And then he would tell people. That was the first uh, six months. Um, we had other MCs, and we would hire them, and they'd do the whole thing, and we'd be in the background. And then Anders... Uh, he just it wasn't after a while it wasn't his thing wasn't his right. focus so I, t I took it on by myself and um, it still didn't host for m maybe another year and a half and I think I our third anniversary show was probably yeah. the first time I was on the mic uh, I hosted a half hour or of the hour long third anniversary show or something like that awful I think I introduced every single person as my friend I was like, ladies and gentlemen my friend Salty Crackers ladies and gentlemen my friend whoever Titsy McSwiggins. So that's sort of, sort of That's happened. a great philosophy. Yeah, Titsy McSwiggins. So horrible. Uh, probably a Simpsons reference. I think everything ever clever it probably was done. The Simpsons, Simpsons, Simpsons that's first. true. Simpsons did it. Yeah, um, it was DC. We, were, we had a... Around our third year, we went down. And for about two, three years, we did a monthly show in Washington, DC. We, we'd pile into a car, about six of us sitting on each other's laps and drive down and do the show. And you realize you couldn't fit one more person in the car unless they could also pull their weight during the show. So that's how I started hosting. Out of town, thank God. So nobody yeah. who knew me got to see what an awful MC I was. Um, but but I got better. I think you get better at these things with experience. Sure. Um, my, my style of MCing is... Um, Whatever the hell comes out of my mouth, plus alcohol, it tends to be. It seemed to work well so far. <laughs> you know, no one's caught on, or yeah. they have, they're too polite to, you know. And one thing I love that's absolutely delightful is you host the Heroes and Villains theme show that you guys have done a few times at the Bell House now as the supervillain Lord Sebastian. Yes. Who has an accent. Um, I, I will not say what the accent is, because truthfully I cannot tell. I think you're being kind. I think he has several accents. <laughs> Depending on what sentence or word I'm saying. Um, yeah, um, the funny thing about that one, well, again, for folks who aren't familiar with the shows, some of our shows are review, uh -huh. just an assemblage of, of, uh, of burlesque acts uh, and variety acts, and some of the shows are scripted or themed. That's all Nasty Canasta's creative genius. Sure. And uh, we did a superhero and villain show, um, but we didn't do existing superheroes and villains. We didn't do Superman and Lex Luthor. We did uh, our own heroes and our own villains <clears throat> excuse me and um lord sebastian which is really funny is actually a redo of a character i did with my brothers <laughs> about 20 years ago when we used to make home movies <laughs> and we did a you know we did a sort of a star trek kind of goofing around parody thing and at the time lord sebastian was just me with uh, some round uh, mirrored sunglasses and a motorcycle helmet backwards uh on my head um, and I think at the time I was doing a really bad fake British accent. Sure. Which is what I thought until I stepped on stage with the new version and it was what I was going to do. And then suddenly out of my mouth came whatever the hell that was. I'm going to go with just mad scientist as accent. Yeah. Might have been Germanic. 
It might have just been screeching. <laughs> um, but uh, very fun. And a very heavy helmet. It's, not, it's no longer a... So it's been crafted now. Yeah. Now it's adapted from an old gar- garbage can. Oh, nice. With a brain in it. <laughs> as opposed to a, a motorcycle helmet. Yeah, I remember <laughs> trying the helmet on once after one of the shows and my, I almost fell over. It's just deceptively heavy. It is a little top heavy. Um, <laughs> so, and I know that you guys didn't always do theme shows. You always... Um, you mostly did reviews from what yes. I remember early yeah. on. The the change to do um, reviews, I imagine, a little bit comes from Nasty's theater background a bit. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, this idea of just working stuff in. I mean, since we've done King Kong, um, uh, uh, Macbeth, and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so um, my understanding is Nasty writes pretty much all the scripts for that. And anything we Wallace Master does that's scripted, uh, Nasty writes or wrote. Um, and again, some of them are fully scripted uh, adaptations, and some of them are uh, just thematic. Uh, there's a lot of burlesque that will do take a pop culture thing that exists and do a show based on it. Right. Mad Men burlesque, Golden Girls burlesque, <laughs> and anything you want. You know, uh, uh, Stilt Man, the burlesque show. Um, we have adapted uh, the 1933 King Kong, uh, and we have adapted uh, Casablanca, and we've adapted Macbeth. Outside of that, everything else is our original material, even if it's thematic. Right. Um, but that's all her. She's 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 the brilliant one there. I am um, mostly uh, 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 facial hair and uh, hopefully some charm. <laughs> I, I would say so. Charming facial hair. Charming, I'm charming facial hair. Um, so uh, going back to the heroes villains thing. So there's some root of nerdery I know from you, Nasty, and many other performers in Los Bosco. Um, did you have some favorite nerdy things growing up? I think we've talked about Star Trek before. I'm I'm the kind of I'm a, I'm an OG nerd um, from you know the, the early seventies. Um, so I don't have a Star Trek or Star Wars. To me, it's both. Both, sure, um, absolutely. Um, I am a massive Superman fan. Yeah, uh, real Superman. With not not the new stuff. Not not this new stuff. The the, the good guy, the one who didn't murder people. <laughs> his underwear on the outside of his pants. That guy. Um, you know, Nasty's the oldest uh, established Doctor Who fan I know. Yeah. I mean, she liked the old, crappy, boring British stuff <laughs> that I, I can watch and be like, ooh, that guy's dressed cool, but I, you know, I can't get through the bubble wrap aliens and the just really slow pacing. But, um, you know, that's that's definitely part of it. Uh, I, I had intended to be in the comic book industry. It's what I thought I was going to do with my life. Um, it turns out I'm not actually prolific enough to do comic books. <laughs> So, How do you have to do more than one issue a year? Oh, gee, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> did you want to do like a sci-fi comic book? Was that the goal, you think? Uh, by the time I got out of college, I went to art school. By the time I got out of college, I'd already become too much of a wise-ass. So I did, you know, the sort of indie kind of comic route. And it's about drinking and being cool and stupid and whatever. And <laughs> not terribly interesting. Um, you know, as opposed to sincerity. Uh, if I If I could still draw like I used to, I... I would probably do the most sincere, like, superhero saves day comic possible. That sure. Would, that would be my thing. Um, and any desire to do, like, a web comic now that that thing has kind of come more common? or No, I burned out. Yeah. I, 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 I uh, had a career. It was a, went on for about 15 years. And uh, there was a height where it was a real job, just like grown-ups have. And then um, the market really started to plummet. For illustration, once once everybody got Photoshop, that's how old my illustration career is. <laughs> Photoshop was new. Um, once that happened, uh, people weren't paying any reasonable rates, okay. and then eventually it just became stress, and I just stopped doing it. I mean, I can see that. You know, it's hard to keep doing anything you're passionate about if you burn out on it. You know, when when your hobby or your interest becomes your sole source of making a living, and then you can't make a living doing it. It's hard to keep the joy. Yeah, sure, totally. Um, I've always been really conscious with this new career that that doesn't happen. Sure, of course. Yeah. Well, I've noticed also, like, when I first started doing Sound For You, you had hosted most of the shows, yeah. you produced most of the shows, and now you have a wonderful support staff of producers and, and, and people selling pasties and um, sign-up people. And, like, you, I, real, I remember you doing a lot of the running around and the everything at the early shows. Well, we didn't have a dime. Sure. You know, we weren't successful. We, were, we, we had big audiences, but uh, New York's always been a tough market for um, a, a pr- prices, admission prices. Sure. Uh, at, when I started doing burlesque in New York, uh, the average show was $5. And, and when we raised it to 10 
people just people got so upset, outraged. Yeah, outraged. And when we went from ten to twenty, we lost half our audience. Um, people will spend three thousand dollars a month on rent and the same amount on their car insurance, and you know they'll easily spend uh, twelve dollars on a beer and twenty four on a cocktail and eighteen dollars on lunch. But if you ask them to spend uh, twenty dollars on three hours of live entertainment, they suddenly act like you're insane. Yeah. Um, so so that was tough. But once we started to have a loyal following and a, you know really really amazing audience members. Um, we were able to make some more money and we were able to hire people to do things. Um, and I really like the kind of divide and conquer. I mean, the, the, all the producers that I've gotten to work with that work for Wasabosco, Sydney Devereaux, Sapphire Jones, Nasty, you, like you guys all have this kind of different thing you bring to putting a show together, which I think is awesome because it adds even more variety to the already uh, plethora of variety you have in the shows to begin with. Um, one thing I've been conscious about since the beginning, um, all right, in theory, my name is on the is the company name. Sure, but that's not my real name. Right. So, so my fake name. In fact, what? That's I'm not actually, your name. Uh, I'm actually named after the company. It's not the other way around. Sure. But I was always conscious of the of the ego idea. Like I didn't want to become the man in charge, telling everyone what to do. And I always figured that if I'm the only one in charge, if I'm the only one making decisions, business or creative, we're in trouble. Sure. You know. So I always thought that. There should be many voices uh, creating the things and getting credit for creating the things. Sure, of course. And then, and as well, that they should mostly be women. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's real easy. I'm, I am the checklist of privilege. Yeah. You know, white, straight, blue eyes. You know, whatever. And, um, <laughs> and that's a dangerous place to make art from. Sure. So, so to me, it's really, really important that we have other voices that they're female voices sure. for the most part, and that. Rather than them working for me, they work. We all work together, and then sure. sometimes they back me up, and sometimes I back them up. Yeah, I mean that, that makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, we can't grow. We can't be a diverse organization. We can't have different kinds of shows. If somebody isn't disagreeing with somebody else's opinion, you stagnate. Sure, um, I think it's also a good point because I, I, especially when I first started doing sound and started branching out to doing sound for other shows besides Waso Bosco, the first thing I noticed is almost every host was male. Almost all of them. It's actually why I stepped back. I quite enjoy hosting. I like right. it a lot. But I thought that that was problematic. Yeah. If I'm if if a, a well dressed man is presenting mostly uh, women stripping, we have some male performers, but sure. mostly women. Um, you know, it's pimpy. That's yeah. not an original idea. You know, that's an article, and, and that's been put forth by a bunch of people. But it, it really hit home for me a couple of years ago. Sure. And I decided to sort of demote myself. Sure. Um, and I think they're better shows. I think I, I enjoy emceeing. I, I think I'm pretty good at it, to be honest. <laughs> but I think uh, the other people I work with are much better sure. at it than I am. And also, I, I'd rather watch them do their thing. Yeah. It's been fun, like, watching the City Winery show, which I've done sound for, uh, for pretty much since I started doing sound for Wasabasco, become... Sapphire Jones's playground, you know. Sapphire Jones is one of my favorite people in the world. I would listen to her talk about anything for hours on end. Um, I, I think she's amazing. I'm just she's she used to host our Union Hall show, mm -hmm. uh, local venue here here in Brooklyn, and we outgrew the room. It was uh, only a hundred capacity room, and uh, now she hosts City Winery in Manhattan for us. And I, I just adore her. I think she's she's gangbusters. Yeah, I agree. And it's fun watching. Like, I've always heard her voice and we've talked, but watching her get to be herself on stage and pretty much just be herself and just be wacky and fun is is just unbelievable. It's And, and to, to, you know, see her talk about her love of Pomeranian Neil Patrick Harris and uh, Sauvignon Blanc uh, every every month has been f so much fun. I think that's interesting. I don't. I don't think I quite realized it until you just said that. Um, a lot of other, not all, but a lot of other MCs will host in character. Sure, of course. And we don't do that. Yeah. I mean, like the supervillain superhero show is different. That's sure. that's a half scripted sort of thing. But when we do most of our shows, uh, all the MCs just MC as themselves, and I I find that much more fascinating. Yeah. You know. I mean, to hear the stuff that comes out of. Nasty's mouth when she's hosting the slumber party show, which is more or less an unscripted kind of straightforward. Yeah, just 
everyone's in pajamas and, and nightgowns and stuff. And the stuff she comes up with, like, on the fly, claiming I'm her little brother and I'm DJing the party. Like, I think we have cast you in the mid-show more times than any... Like, everyone else knows what they're doing, and you'll find yourself working. We decided you're a narc one time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I love that, because then I can just run with it. Um, you know, like, I, I think, like, we have the 70s show coming up again. I believe uh, in... Uh, is it May? No, it's, it's this month, April. It's uh, April, yeah. It'll be it'll be this month, and the the last couple of times I didn't, but the first time we did that show, I was the narc. I showed up in a suit <laughs> mm-hmm. with sunglasses on, and you claimed I was the narc halfway through the show, and so I think I'll do that again. I think it's just it's it's fun to play a bit. I'm not an actor, and I get some stage fright. Um, I remember the one time you were working on something backstage and helping someone with something, and we had to call off a go-go uh, dancer. I believe it was Penny Wren at the time. Remember vividly, actually. And you're like, "Oh, do you want to announce her off?" And I went, "Uh." And you're like, "You're like, no worries, I'll do it." And so, I probably should not throw you to the wolves like that. <laughs> but but I've been doing more hosting. I've hosted events at the way station, and um, I'm getting better at being in front of crowds. I mean, talking to a mic in an apartment with one other person or several other people is a lot easier for me. When I'm in front of an audience, it's like the stage fright stuff hits. But doing these mid-show characters has kind of helped me play a little bit and kind of come out of my show. I, th- I think it's sort of the same thing for me. I mean, yeah. It was only because I was around for a while doing other things that I was eventually able to get on the mic. Yeah, and, and I, I love learning that about myself. I mean, the one time I tried to perform a duet on stage with my wife... She was playing guitar and singing, and I was singing. We were doing the Rainbow Connection. I froze up. On the second verse, it was my verse, and I froze up, and she sang. And the room was filled with people I knew at the way station, and I just couldn't do it. And I know the song backwards and forwards. So, But that was a couple of years ago now. So I have nothing but respect for anyone who can perform at yeah. all. I mean, again, I don't think what I'm doing is performing. I'm, right, sure. I'm ad-libbing all of it. You know, and just talking. But uh, anyone who has to not only be on stage and also have a skill and talent... Uh, I, I kneel at your feet. Sure, I could. I could not do that. I, I th- I'm definitely the same way. Um, I want to circle back a little bit to Superman and your love of Superman, yes. which I share. We are both, for the most part, boycotting the new movie that's out in theaters as we're recording the Beavers. S thing. I, I, somebody called it Batman Hates Superman, which is <laughs> what I've been calling it, which I think is hilarious. Um, I only wanted to see it with the modest curiosity of Ben Affleck is. Bruce Wayne, not even Batman, because I feel like he's come a long way as an actor as a surly older guy, and he'd do that okay, but I hate the world that they're building. I um, I, I have nothing against Ben Affleck, actually. I mean, I don't necessarily have anything terribly for him. He's, yeah. His poster's not on the wall or anything, but I have nothing against him. I, I, I thought it was he looks good in the part. Yeah. I mean, Henry Cavill looks good in the part. Yeah. Uh, so I think they, you know, the two men look like the characters. Um, I cannot... Embrace any other aspect of it. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see Man of Steel either. Um, I, I think that the the best Superman movie ever made is the Iron Giant. I was Bradford. just going to ask yeah. you that, and 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 I agree. The the one of many movies that will make me cry it every is, time. It makes every time. I cry every time. And um and it is the heart and soul and purpose and function and inspiration of Superman yeah. in a movie that Superman's not in. Not in at all. Um, yeah. it's. Utterly amazing, and it, and if you see that movie and it, and it, it doesn't make you cry, you have no soul. <laughs> and um, and if you see that movie and don't understand why it's the best Superman movie ever made, you don't understand Superman. Superman yeah. And Zack Snyder and the, the gang over at Time Warner or whatever, I guess it's Warner Brothers now. Yeah, they don't understand Superman. Um, who is your favorite actor to play Superman in days past? Do you have one? You know, it's funny. I don't. Um, because I grew up watching uh, the black and white uh, reruns of uh, George Reeves. Oh, sure. And he was Superman to me. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and then, uh, then Chris Reeve uh, in the 70s, of course, blew sure. my mind. That's sure. one, you know, one of my uh, majorly influential films. And, I, you know, I was there. I saw that in the theater. Sure. Like you should, you know. And um, they're both two very different versions of the same character. I love them both. Um, I even love Bud Collier, who did the radio show sure. and then did the voices on the Max Fleischer uh, Superman cartoons in the 40s. And as an illustrator, uh, that really appealed to me, too. Um, so, no, I, I, of those three, the rest of them are I, all also Rans. Yeah. Um, the guy had, that played the Brian Singer horrible Superman movie, uh, I, he didn't... Brandon Routh. Yeah. yeah, he didn't make an impression. I didn't much like the Lois and Clark one. Uh, <laughs> I never saw any of the Superboy TV shows. So everybody else is an also Ran. But I think... Uh, I think Bud Collier, uh, certainly. I mean, he helped establish the character yeah. on the radio. Uh, and then George and then Chris. And, uh, 
Well, I saw probably one of the funniest YouTube videos in a long time recently. Someone did a supercut of every time George Reeve uh, busted through a wall in the old TV show. It's the best. It's, <laughs> it's the best. Incredible. Like, you know, and I remember watching it as a little kid. Like, my dad had them taped, and I watched them, and I don't, like, I remember loving it, but I don't remember him breaking through that many walls. But watching this. <laughs> every cut. episode, he breaks through a wall. And um, and uh, the other thing that happens is that the bad guy will fire bullets at his chest, which uh -huh. the bullets will bounce off, and then the bad guy will throw the empty gun at George, and George will duck. Yeah, that's the the bullets bounce off his chest. The gun, George ducks. That's one of my favorite things in the world. It's just fascinating, and it's like I, you don't realize those things. Also, it's the wonderment as a kid. Like I just had never occurred to me. Uh, you know, like, oh, you know, why is he busting through so many walls? Because that was the best way to do special effects back then. You got you to got show half how an hour to tell a story with no budget in the 50s. It's a wall every damn episode. And uh, and the same reused shot of him lying on a table. I guess it would have been uh, a blue screen back then. Yeah, uh, not even green screen. Not even green screen, 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 blue screen, and him, him flying and... I don't know. And he's on I Love Lucy. He's on an episode of I Love Lucy is he as really? Superman. Is he really? He doesn't, doesn't even, even get a credit that. as George Reeves. He gets credit as... And, and special guest, Superman. Superman. That's which is, amazing. Which is, yeah. That's so I, I love George. I don't think, you know, that shows... It's like the Adam West Batman in 66. Uh. You can say it's cheesy if you want it to be gritty and realistic. But in the comics, it was cheesy. So yeah. they're actually incredibly faithful adaptations. My favorite... Thing about the Adam West, I've, so the Joker's always been one of my favorite DC villains, and right. I've loved just about every version of him um, for different reasons. That's been in movies and TV. Though Mark Hamill is the voice. Mark Hamill wins Joker. Like I read comic books and I hear his voice, just like I hear Kevin Conroy's Batman yeah. when I read comics. But um, the Caesar Romero doesn't even shave his mustache with the makeup on in the Adam West. Like that was my favorite thing. But they're all doing an amazing job. And again, yeah. that show gets a real bad rap from modern audiences. Yeah. Those actors who play the villains are amazing. Almost Fantastic. every single one of them. I mean, Adam West is the straight man. Yeah. He's playing it purposefully really dull and boring. Yeah. And the villains, those actors are allowed to do whatever the hell. Frank Gorshin laughing yeah. is one of the greatest things I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, yeah. That's just all fun. But what, what I like about it, and whether they're cheesy or hokey or whatever... In the end, the heroes are good people who save lives. Yeah. This idea now that we're so anti-hero... Not only do we like anti-heroes, and I love a good anti-hero. Sure. Max Rockatansky is a great anti-hero. But you don't have to make the ones who are heroes anti-hero. Like, yeah, Superman yeah. doesn't need to let people die and, no. and, and all that nonsense. It's an attempt to think that the only way to do heroic is to be... Um, cruel yeah and i'm not interested in that so i don't i don't see those so. that's why i've always loved the the marvel movie universe so much better because they get how to, for the most part how to do humor in a movie that can still be serious and i've always enjoyed uh, that they're just knocking it out of the park even the ones that fail a little bit like the the last avengers movie wasn't as good it wasn't as good or whatever but but their heart is in the right place sure the characterizations are great um you know i was never a marvel fan I worked uh, at Marvel Comics for a couple years after college, um, but I was I was never a fan growing up. I was a DC fan, and yet I love all the Marvel movies and TV shows, and I can't stand any of the DC stuff. So yeah. you know, a total switch in my forties. I've changed teams, which is weird. It is weird, yeah, and it's like a heyday for all of it. I mean, like even the new, the new Deadpool movie, which was done by Fox, and a lot of the Fox properties have not been great. The Deadpool movie was fun because it embraced just being a stupid comic book, and whether you like Deadpool or not. They didn't try and make it gritty and make it realistic. They took a character who's goofy these days in the comics and the video games and everything and made him goofy on the screen. But they're not afraid to have fun. And whether, yeah. whether, whether it's that particular character's up your alley or not, um, having fun with a comic book character seems like a good idea to me. No, no brainer almost. No, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean make fun of the character. Like Have respect for the source material, whatever you're doing. Um, but but yeah, have fun. Why not? Movies life is dreary enough. You know, yeah. you gotta pay, pay your taxes and and your insurance and pick up the kids at the grocery store and where the people <laughs> eat kids from. And um, you should your entertainment should be entertaining. I agree. Yeah, totally. It's in the name, <laughs> right? Entertainment. Entertainment. Um, uh, I want to go take it back to Wasabasco. One of the things that I like that you guys do with Wasabasco that I don't really hear a lot of other shows do is you have an announcement at the beginning of every show saying to not take photos and to put your phones away, pretty much enjoy live entertainment. And I think it's really telling because I, got, I remember getting annoyed recently. I don't go to a lot of concerts anymore, but the last concert I went to, which was a They Might Be Giants concert in Brooklyn, 
And I'm watching the Miami Giants, which is amazing and fun. And someone like three places ahead of me is watching the show through their phone. Right. Recording the whole thing. And like, I'm all for, look, uh, if you're a journalist and you want to record uh, a section of a song and put it on your website or you want to take photos, I get that. But if you're just the Joe Schmo who needs to Facebook the entire, like I take photos of concerts too, but I'll take a photo and then that's it or a couple of photos. Like if you're not blogging about it, enjoy the live entertainment. And you see guys seem to make a big deal about that. It's for a lot of reasons. Um, I I feel that uh, my job, I have an obligation. I have an obligation to the performers who are on stage that they get to do their craft or their art with as much support and respect as possible. I also have an obligation to the venue. Uh, we're there. We're there to make the venue make money, so they yeah. have us back. And we have an obligation to the audience member, all the audience members. Yeah. So I'm like you. If I go to a almost any event anywhere, and there's a sea of phones. I'm not watching what I paid my ticket price to see. I'm watching it through the view screen of a thousand iPhones. And um, I, I don't think anybody creatively is like, you know what would be great? What if instead of staging this number with, a, with scenery on a stage, what if it was through a tiny rectangle? I mean, nobody wants that to be the experience. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's fair to any patron not on their phone to allow other patrons to be on their phone. It's not about saying to you, if you're filming the whole show... It's not about saying, how dare you? You know, Louis C.K. had that recent episode where his daughter explains how she's seeing the world through her phone. And you're like, okay, so possibly I'm an old guy and I should adapt. But there are plenty of people there who want to see it with their eyes. And and I know that when we direct a scene, we're not like, what if everything was blocked by iPads? Like, no. So that's that's respect for the other paying patrons. Um, Also, the respect is the performers. They own the material. Yeah. You don't get to record it. Like, it's very simple. It's bootlegging, you know? Yeah. You know, in the old days, uh, you'd bring a cassette recorder to a concert and make (laughs) a bootleg tape. And you don't get to. That that art, you paid for to view it, but it's not yours. Yeah. So you'd end up with that. And, and, you know, we can, so we control amateur recording, video recording photos of the show because we want to protect the performers and we want to protect the other paying patrons. And we want to have the experience. And that's the other thing. Once you get past all that sort of rules aspect of it, we do want you to just open your eyes and watch it. Yeah. That's how it's intended. It's live entertainment. And you can watch, you know, you can Netflix and chill all you want. (laughs) You know, if you want to sit at home and watch something recorded, absolutely, more power to you. But stay home and do it. If you want to come to a show and watch it through your view screen, like, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, so, you know, it's sort of a multi-layered thing. You can't stop it 100%. Sure. Uh, we don't want people to have a horrible time and not be able to brag right. that they're at our show. But we want the acts, the part of the night where the performers are doing their thing. We want you to put the phones down and just watch it. It's going to be much, much better for everybody. So, yeah. And so we have a pre-recorded thing. You know, we uh, we keep out the semi-pros. You yeah. know, there's, there's people on their phones. There's also the guys who show up unannounced with a giant rig, you know, and they think they're allowed to, you know, just record, record the show. And we, we shut that down. When, when we started doing burlesque, that was, um, standard. The first two rows of almost every show were full of really old creepy guys just filming the show. And they were just filming the spank bank. They were watching the art strippers and taking dirty pictures, you know, and taking them home because they weren't allowed probably to bring the cameras (laughs) into the strip clubs. And, uh, and I was like, hell no. I don't yeah. know how, why the hell this is standard operating procedure. So we shut that down right away. Uh, if we ever have a photographer, we we never have more than two. We usually only have one. Uh, they're they're wearing a badge. They're all approved, like you said, with yeah. press. If you're there for press, then get a press pass. Yeah. Totally fine. Totally different <laughs> thing. And if you are there for press, I'm going to take your giant camera and I'm going to put it behind the paying customers. Sure. Because we've all been to shows, too, where like the professional guy is blocking your view. Yeah, like right like, in the front. I'm not yeah. sure when you buy your ticket where it says, unfortunately, you know, your view will be blocked by some doofus from, you know, some blog somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, shifting gears, but still talking about Burlesque and Wasco Bosco. Uh, what are your plans for the future for Wasco Bosco? I mean, you guys are always doing more shows and trying out new venues and creating new... I guess um, IPs essentially, you know, for for within Los Bosco. But do you have any really big plans of stuff you want to do for the future? You know, it's a bit of a slow growth thing, or maybe it's a faster than it used to be growth. Um, we we don't own our own venue, yeah. You know, so we're 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 a little bit like a band, and we're a little bit like a play without being either of those two things, right? Where we're always guests in someone else's house. Sure. Um, the way we're looking at it now, inside the city of New York, is that. Um, 
as if we're a live entertainment version of a television network. Yeah. Like, Monday night we have our sitcom, and Tuesday night we have our drama, and Thursday night we have our reality show. Um, so that by having different shows, the idea is that the shows are all very different from each other, and you could find the Las Vegas show that appeals to you. Sure. Um, and if you like all the things we're doing, you come to all of them. You know, sure. I'm sure we would like you to spend... 25% of your income on, on show tickets. But um, <laughs> but that's the idea is to sort of pr- provide programming as many nights of the week as possible. That that idea is crazy. Yeah. You know, you're in New York and you're sort of like, you know, you're promoting each event and the social networking locks you out more and more. It's harder to promote things. But sure. we have a, you know, we have a loyal following and whenever, whenever we do a show, somebody walks up and says it's their first show and they love it. So what we're doing is clearly working. So that that's local, you know, and I, I want it because I love the art of striptease and burlesque and theater and whatever the hell Wasabasco is is a composite <laughs> of all those um, and I want to do all the things we can do right I want to do a game show and we want to do a you know a, a, a theatrical adaptation of something and we want to just do something you know sexy and fun and and with the different MCs hopefully uh, hopefully we're we're tackling the the market and a city with eight million people you know we should be able to get a couple hundred out every night um, but but beyond New York um, We've been really lucky. We've been working a lot with City Winery. Um, they keep opening locations, and we keep going with them. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, we have a monthly show in Nashville. It's Gigi LaFemme. Oh, that's she right. She was yeah. with us here in New York for, for a long, long time. She helped build the company, and then she moved to Nashville, so she produces and hosts and performs in Wasabasco, Nashville every month that's at awesome. City Winery there. And City Winery had a, a Napa Valley um, you know, a location. We, we flew out there a couple of times. They're opening up one in Atlanta. We're going down there. Oh, great. So we'll go to other cities, but what's lovely about City Winery is uh, they give us the ability. They have a support team. They already know who we are and what we're about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we would like to expand to other cities if there's a venue that makes sense for us. Um, a little too long in the tooth to hop in a car and go on a road trip. Sure, know? of course, yeah. I want to get off a plane and go go to work instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that's it, like sort of slow slow expansion. We're also doing a lot of video content and stuff we're working on now. We haven't released any of it yet. Yeah. But we're trying to create, um, without just filming striptease, we're trying to take the personality of what Wasabasco is and get it out to people who don't live locally. Sure. You know, if, if, we're, if we're telling you to come see us, you have to come see us live, you don't know who the hell we are first, so we're going to try to create some web series and stuff. Gotcha. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Something like on YouTube, have your yeah, own. Yeah, a couple of different ideas we're working on right now, but we've been filming the content. It's just a question of how we're going to distribute it. But the idea is that you understand what Wasabasco is stylistically and, again, entertainment-wise, and the personalities of the performers and the MCs, regardless of where you live. And then if you happen to be in Nashville or New York or Atlanta, you can come see us. That's cool. I yeah. like that. That's yeah. actually a really brilliant idea. Um, do you th- so I, you talk a little bit about uh, social media kind of being a, sometimes a hindrance now. I mean, I've noticed that with Crash Chords, promoting stuff for free on Facebook is becoming more and more impossible because of the sponsored ad and all of that. And that wouldn't be a problem. I mean, like we all sure. act like we all act like Facebook's a right. Yeah, it's a business, and we sure, don't own that business, and we're all on it. Um, the problem is they have categorized us the same as porn. Oh, really? So they, they want you to buy ads instead of uh, promoting your events for free. And that would be fine, except they also won't let us pay. We Our ads cannot be accepted. They've decided we're the same thing as porn content. So even though Wasabesco has a Facebook presence, yeah. we have a Facebook page, and we're allowed to have those things, and we don't violate their standards, if we try to boost a post or an ad like they tell you to do all the time, um, they won't let us do it. So it's a catch twenty two. That that sucks. We so we can't promote free, and they and they keep limiting how you promote that way. Yeah, and and that's on purpose. It's so you are forced to buy an ad. Sure, of course. And then they won't let us buy the ad. Right. So that's and then they you know then they acquired Instagram and they're sort of starting to do the algorithms over there. And again, all this stuff is free. Yeah. So so you can't really complain too much. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, because social media grew, all the old forums I had to get the word out about your shows are gone. Yeah. I you mean, know, we used to get press listings. <laughs> now we get listed at Time Out and a few other things every month. But, you know, the hundreds of outlets have, have, have bailed. Yeah. And because, because people go to single uh, central location social media, because people go to Facebook, they don't go to websites anymore. Yeah. No, so getting listed true. on someone's website or on your own website or getting listed in the press is useless now. Yeah. Nobody's going to that. People are going to you know, uh, to, to social media for everything, yeah. and then social media won't let you play. It's to the point now where, and I noticed this when I, I used to work for Mozilla a little while ago, 
browsers don't matter on phones anymore. Every app that you would go to an article from, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all have their own built-in browsers now. Yeah. Mozilla, Chrome, I mean, Chrome is still somewhat relevant because it's Google and they own everything. But like a lot of those browsers are just kind of useless because nobody goes to the web anymore. Everybody's in the social media. And it's yeah. just bizarre. Uh, I mean, I know Waspasco has a mailing list. I'm, of course, on it. Yeah, but that's you know that's also a little bit of an antiquated idea. Nobody wants an email blast. <laughs> we send it out once a week. Tuesdays, it goes out about yeah. 10 or 11, and that's it. We don't bother you again. We don't sell your name, all that stuff. <laughs> but mostly it goes to people. If you have Gmail, it goes yeah. to your promotion folder. Yeah, yeah. You know, we op- open rates are... Our, we have a really good open rate, actually. Yeah. Which is like 20%. Wow, you know, that is really good, actually. Right, but that's minuscule. You yeah. know, you're sending out you're sending out an email blast about your shows uh, to to thousands of people, and a couple of hundred are are opening it. Yeah, and, you know that's nice. <laughs> but I don't, yeah, no, it's really it's interesting having having gone full circle. When I started this, we asked, used to have to hang flyers. You know, we were like <laughs> out there with a staple gun and some tape doing telephone <laughs> poles about shows. And then they invented MySpace, and then later the ones we have now. And you and you start to ride the wave, and then suddenly you don't have any options. And, you know, I'm gonna start walking up to people like, "Hey, buddy, you want to see a burlesque show?" <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I mean, I imagine the word of mouth is pretty good. I mean, you guys have the Agents of Wasabasco, which is the the in crowd awesome group. Not I always, crowd, I, always call, I love this. I always call it our secret organization. That's not, so and secret. it's not even at all secret. Though. Sure. Yeah, no, we, we uh, so we do. We have incredibly, incredibly loyal, you're one of them. Yes. We're incredibly loyal supporters, whether that's people who work with us or for us or just audience members who come out to a lot of shows. And when we recognize that you were helping us, we want to recognize you in return. Sure. So we, as you know this, but we swear people in on an oath. You get to ha- put your hand on the butt of a Wasp Basketball performer. And that's our version of the Bible. Yes. And we swear you in. You have a little oath about, you know, how to behave and be awesome. And, uh, and then you get made an agent, and, and uh, you're part of the, the family that is helping us build and grow. And uh, that's really exciting stuff. And do you find that the, the, the word of mouth is a, a way that you get your audience grow? or uh, You know, uh, to a degree. I mean, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of agents and, and fans bring new people out. Mm-hmm. Then there's a point that once they brought everybody out, then you have to then, once again, right, yeah. like, you know, it's, uh, it's like exploring the new world. We have to load up some ships and go out to new places and find untapped seams of human beings. Yeah, I, I still remember, like yesterday, the day I was sworn in as an agent. It was on Media Noches. That's a good bite to be sworn in on. It is. And it was funny for the first, we're, me and Media Noche have become good friends since, but for the first, like, six months that after I'd been sworn in, she would refer to me as her agent, and then I would refer to her as my butt, and well, I didn't she would know that. giggle. That's delightful. She would giggle every time I said it. She's a sweetheart. I adore her. And it was just one of those things where I remember I'm getting sworn in, I put my hand pretty much on her lower back, because right. I'm a nerd. Shocker. Try, and, well, and I'm trying to be a polite, nice and she grabbed my hand and, and moved it into a better position. It was very funny. Yeah, very important. This, right. this is consensual laying of yeah, hand on butt. Of course. This is not, you, don't, you don't get you, to just do that. No. You were invited to do so I as part of the Absolutely. Everybody's on board, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that's very important. Some of the, uh, I guess we call it douchebaggery that goes around <laughs> on burlesque is... Well, it's, you're, you're having wonderful, you know, brilliant, uh, sexy, delightful, naked people, and you're allowing the public to come in and see that. And, yeah. And we do really well. We have exceptional audiences. Yeah. 60% of our audiences are women. Yeah. You know, um, the men that come tend to be well behaved. We have a lot of couples, and yeah. all of our our focus is trying to uh, have folks think of Walsh Basket as a date night yeah. or, or a group of friends night. So we don't have a lot of lone creepers, but you're in New York City. It's, po- it's going to happen. Always, I mean, if, you're, if you have a 300, 400 people in a room yeah. to see a show, there's going to be a creeper. It's just men, it's how yeah. men move through the world. So, uh, you know, it will happen. Uh, we oh, always tend to deal with it immediately. Sure. You know, we try to stop it before something happens. Then they're never given access to the stage. But you're out yeah. in the crowd. A, a performer decides to get off stage, go out and get a drink. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're out there. So you're just ever vigilant, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's also what's nice is I've noticed is the, the fans and even the, the agents, of course, it's become kind of a family where everyone watches each other, you know, and there are quite a few large, intimidating gentlemen in the agents oh, group yeah. who, like uh, like Adam Freeland, who will let you know that what you're doing is not okay because he knows it's not okay and, and you'll stop doing it because he's terrifyingly huge. Well, and the best way to do that, too, <laughs> is you set the tone. Like, yeah. the, the most wonderful thing about the agents is 
you don't need to correct people as much as by acting really appropriately yourselves. Yeah. People understand. Sure. You know, uh, since the agents uh, ha- plan or whatever it is uh, have have become a reality, our audiences are more and more better behaved and elegantly dressed and, yes. all, and all that thing that we want from an audience. Well, that was something that I've always wanted to thank you for. And I can thank you on record on podcasting <laughs> that, you know, I'm a T-shirt guy. I've always been a T-shirt guy growing up. And like in high school, I had to have a band shirt from every concert I ever went to. That's a lot of concerts and a lot of band shirts, which I got rid of a lot of them since. Right. Um, but starting to work with Wasabasco and going to these shows and seeing people dress up, and I'm like, I want to look like that. They look great. And then I stepped up my game and bought more dress clothes to the point where now, like, I show up to my current job, at my day job, and uh, which is boring, McBoring, it doesn't matter. You know, I love it, but nobody in the audience will care. Uh, but I show up, and like the first day I showed up, I was wearing a purple dress shirt and, and nice slacks and and everyone else, the marketers, the salespeople, the, the tech folk are all in t-shirts, for the most part, t-shirts, right. you know, and they're like, wow, dressed up. Look at you. You look great. And it's just, it's a, it's common to, to not always dress up, especially in the city as this where it gets so hot as hell. Was that a thing that you always like wanted to do from the beginning, kind of promote everyone should look and feel good? Um, I, I'm a big proponent of that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that there are situations that require different modes of dress, and, and it's about respect. How you dress is how you show respect to the people around you. I believe that. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that you need to wear a tie all the time. Right. I think you should wear a tie at a wedding and a funeral, <laughs> and you should wear a tie if you invite someone out to dinner. Yeah. Um, that's clearly old-fashioned or clearly not in step with everyone else, but I think it's a sign of respect. It shows that you put some effort into it. Um, there's lots of reasons. I, I think you feel better and look better and act better when you're dressed well. Yeah. Um, but also, I think we owe it to women. Um, and I'm going to... Sorry, I'm going to use a very heterosexual delineation here, but women dress up all the time. They yeah. dress well for all kinds of situations with varying degrees. And when I see a woman dressed to the nines with impeccable shoes and an amazing outfit and hair and makeup done and, and, and accessories and the man she's with is in like a v-neck <laughs> undershirt, sweatpants and his least stained sneakers and a backwards baseball hat indoors, look, I don't understand. I don't understand why he's decided that she is worth zero effort. Yeah. So for me, that comes from that place uh, that, that you, sh- you know, you're going out. Very, very, very rarely do women decide to go out uh, to a show. You've paid admission for this. You bought a ticket and be like, let's just wear our, you know, sweatpants. Sweatpants, apparently. <laughs> um, but men do it all the time, and I think it's 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 an insult. Yeah, I take it personally. I understand <laughs> I'm crazy about it. I, I do understand that. I think it's an insult, um, and and I, and I think it carries over. And I think if you go out to a restaurant and there are people around you and they're having. Uh, an anniversary. Yeah. You're celebrating a birthday. You're at some, you know, the items on the menu start at $80. And you're there in your backwards baseball hat. You're showing a complete lack of respect for everyone around you. Right. So I do think dressing up matters. But I also think people look better. I think we have yeah. a generation where um, I, I blame specifically uh, the Gap. <laughs> they decided that pre-faded was a way to sell clothes a couple of decades ago. Um, the Old yeah. Navy, the cheap version of the Gap, and yeah. we decided that men should wear clothes that look like they've been through the laundry already. Yeah. And you've got a generation of guys walking around with saggy, baggy, faded clothes. They're all new. They're yeah. they're pre-worn. <laughs> uh, um, funny story. I actually worked for the Gap for a while, and um, just doing some graphics, but. And I saw them do that. I saw them like, we're going to test this garment. Let's pre-scrape it away so it looks worn in. I'm like, why would you do that? What's the point? Men look horrible. We have a generation of, of, of men. Uh, you know, I know I don't, not a, I'm not a fan of giving millennials crap. I think that's uh, nonsense. Yeah. I'm not going to label sure. people that way. Um, but I'm going to say we have a generation that the fashion industry has given up on us. Yeah. Has said, you know, screw you, men. So we don't have a lot of options. It's really hard. The guy, a lot of guys walk up to me and say, I don't know where to buy a shirt with buttons. Right. You know? <laughs> How do you get a tie? Like, they have no idea. And uh, it's a shame because you're walking around and you look bad. Yeah. You know? You, 
if you're not a gym rat, you know, you don't look good in that white undershirt. Yeah. If you're like me, I'm carrying a bunch of extra pounds in a beer <laughs> gut. And guess what? I look a lot better in a suit than yeah. I do in, you know, I don't own sweatpants, but then I imagine I would if I owned them. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you, your mental picture of what you in sweatpants would be. Um, but but it's not just giving people a hard time. I do think that, I do think it's about the result of it all. So we're talking sure. about asking people not to be on their phones during the show. Yeah. And we're asking people to dress a little better at the shows. And I think that it creates an environment. It does. And yeah. I like that environment. Because uh -huh. the other thing that's happening on the other side of the room is ladies are stripping. Yeah. You know, fancy art stripping, but it's stripping. And I, and I think I would rather watch women have the freedom to perform burlesque any way they want. And there's a respectful audience sitting out there, not on their phones, not wearing a paper bag, <laughs> you know. And that makes it a much more comfortable environment. And it also makes Los Vesco spill off the stage into the crowd. Sure. You talked about this. The agents dress up. People yeah. dress up. That's an after party you want to be at. Yeah, sure. You know. I mean, yeah, I thought that going back to the superhero show, like, my favorite thing about that is that you encourage the audience to dress up, and so many people created their own characters. There were so many, like, uh, uh, Robert Kennedy off the top of my head, like, created an entire supervillain out of th seemingly thin air for that show, and, like, had a professional costume and all this great stuff, and it was awesome. Makeup. That's one of our best events for that. So many agents created their own characters for that one. Yeah. But that's um that's actually entirely organic. We never ever asked Ask the agents. The, yeah, to dress I noticed up. that. Uh, the first time was we do we've done about a half dozen shows now based on the seventies. Yeah. We, we love the seventies. We love the aesthetic. It's a lot of fun. Sure. Um, and the very first time we did a seventy show, uh, a massive core of our, of the agents and our returning audience came dressed like in this it was the seventies. We never asked them to. Yeah. They just came that way. And it, and that set a set a set course a for it. Yeah. So now when we do theme shows, we absolutely do encourage it, but we, again it's not mandatory. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's fun. Yeah. It's massively fun. It, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where you feel like you're part of the show. Like without having to be part of the show and intrusive, you feel like you're and part of the show. And why not? You know, yeah. why if you go out at a night and it's already absurd. And I fully understand that what we're doing is absurd. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all butts and boobs <laughs> and glitter and we're like, we're doing Macbeth. I mean there's 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 professionalism there but we're not going to take ourselves so seriously and if you're going to come and see a show like that why aren't you also dressed up like whatever the theme is yeah uh, and i think it's fantastic it's one of my favorite things i mean you built you at one point built your own iron man suit practically <laughs> for the wasabasco 3000 show which like i mean i believe like the core of the helmet was based on a on a, an iron man oh yeah I, I i i again do not pretend i have any of the skills of our you know <laughs> cosplayers and and we know plenty of amazing Stella Chu and, oh my God, and yeah. all these amazing, amazing people who who create and fabricate this stuff. I'm I'm old school. I'm like, can we take this cardboard box and spray paint it and make it a robot? <laughs> you know, uh, that's an Iron Man helmet, and a bunch of other stuff, and you know, some of it's. Re I think there's some Quaker oat canisters <laughs> in there and a pair of a Doc Martens that have been spray painted. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, one of the, one of the things about that Wasabasco three thousand show I think that I I love the most though is watching you play you and the guy who does sound Jeff at the, at the Bell House for us pretty regularly shout out to Jeff um, to play with the microphone pre show to get the robot voice and they were actually able to put an effect on the mic so you sounded like a robot see if you actually uh, have respect for uh, the people who work at venues they will then help you out with your really dumb ideas. And we've been we've been really fortunate with almost every venue we work at, uh, d definitely every venue we constantly work at. Yeah, you know? um, Bell House has always been great. They'll let us do it. I mean, that's our dumbest shows, and I, I say dumb as a compliment. It is a compliment in burlesque. Um, are always the Bell House ones. Yeah, because we've been working with them almost the whole time we've existed, uh, in one way or another, and they uh, they will let and support us in doing any ridiculous idea we have. Um, so yeah. I always think of that, which is a different conversation. I'm sure you guys have talked about it in some of your other podcasts, but that great Henry Rollins, you know, meme that goes around about how you should treat the people working at any show you're at yeah, yeah. because they're working harder than you. And, yeah, yeah. And I take that to heart. Absolutely. You know? And if you do that, it turns out people are like, let's get sound effects. Let's yeah. make you sound like a robot or, you know, anything else because you're not treating them badly. You're, you know, you need them. Sure. So, no, that's, those guys are great. Um... The, the next thing I want to ask, I like to ask people who I interview advice for their field or even outside their field. I mean, you've been producing shows for a long time now. For anyone who's looking to get into production or just looking to 
kind of start anything, a show in the city, you know, whether it's burlesque or, you know, a, a little one night, one man show or anything like what would your advice as a producer be, especially in the New York landscape to kind of get something going or to, to start something? Um, it's interesting. I actually, my advice would be to seek advice. Yeah, you know there are people. Uh, Alex Battles has been doing the you know Brooklyn Country Music Festival and the Johnny Cash Birthday Show. Every, I learned a lot knowing him. Yeah. we don't do the same art at all. Yeah, entirely different art. But I learned a lot about nightlife and events from him uh, and a lot of other people. Uh, ask advice if you are an amateur. If you are brand new and you have an idea but you have no experience, um, you're gonna. You're going to go through a lot of trouble you don't need to go through. Find some people already doing it and ask them. Ask them. You know, they may not give you all your trade secrets, um, but chances are if you're if you're a good person or maybe you're willing to, um, you know, help them out at their show in exchange, uh, they're probably going to, you know, give you some feedback about how you might approach things. Um, I think that's massively important. And if there were any piece of sort of more ethereal advice, I would say it's this. Show business is a business. Treat right. it like one. Pay your people. Um, show up on time, honor your contracts, treat everyone with respect. Uh, it's, it, it can be fun. I mean, you know, we work in a world of people taking their clothes off, and it isn't. It is fun, but it's not fun in games. It's it's actually our job. Yeah. You know, if you want to do this uh, professionally, act like a professional. Yeah. If you had told you know fourteen year old Matt Storm that <laughs> he was going to be working regularly, multiple times a month, with lots of naked people and talented people in art stripping he'd be like I'm sorry what <laughs> I, I still remember one of my favorite early stories of Wasabasco specifically and Burlesque is I adore Evelyn I adore all of our performers and friends but Evelyn Vinyl and I have become pretty good friends and I remember like when I first saw her perform I was like wow she's so awesome and so out there and so you know she's got this great personality she's so out you know you know she didn't seem like an introvert right but then I talked to her backstage and we're talking about Jason Statham movies that we love and like we're just chatting <laughs> about the dumbest stuff and it was one of those things where she, you know I talk about I, I talked to her about how do you you know are you you like being on stage and all this stuff she's like yeah I like being on stage but I'm you know I'm very nervous and she she's, she was very quiet in the beginning she's, she's come out of her shell a lot with me because we've gotten to know each other a lot better but she's very quiet and very introverted and astonished me like you know as a nerdy kid growing up I assume everyone who's more attractive than me is obviously outgoing, <laughs> brilliant, doesn't like anything I like. And like Nasty Canass and I constantly talk about Paula Abdul. You know, we nerd out about her. And it's like all of these people are nerdy, awesome, really great people about different stuff. And it just never occurred to me growing up because of the stereotypes that you're fed by the media. And like, you know, if someone's pretty and attractive, they must also... Turns out they're people. Yeah, yeah. they're just people yeah. like everybody else. And I think what I was saying in a roundabout way is it was fun to kind of discover that as someone who never really experienced it, especially growing up, that everybody are people. But but which is absolutely true. But burlesque is very very rarely is burlesque anyone's first choice for what they thought they were going to do. <laughs> sure. Almost everyone in burlesque was going to do something else and got sidetracked. You know, uh, I was an illustrator or an actor or a musician or a dancer, uh, you know, classic dancers. And then you end up in this weird world of burlesque that is, could be anything. And all of those things. You get to use those skills. Yeah. And, uh, and that's great. So it's particularly good for nerds. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that you point out with Evelyn, it's true of all of us. Um, almost everyone I know in burlesque is either cripplingly shy or has social anxiety or, or agoraphobia <laughs> except for the time they spend doing their, their performance on stage. Yeah. You know, I'm that way. I, I, I can talk to a room full of an infinite number of people if you hand me a microphone, but, but if you make me go out on the floor, I'm going to be really embarrassed and, and fidgety. <laughs> Yeah, I, I found that the, to be the case, and it was just interesting to me because, you know, essentially it, it gave me this kind of bravery that, oh, these people are like me, you know? Very much so. Well, there's a reason why you've been working with us and everybody. I mean, again, you're in high demand. It's not because, I don't know, you're not bribing people. You know, you're, you're, you're clearly a kindred spirit. Yeah. And, and everyone in the scene, you know, respects and responds to that. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, we spent you know, half our time talking about Superman and Batman, <laughs> you know, when, when I, I manage wonderful art strippers for a living. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's all mixed up. I can thank you officially on the air for giving me a nickname, which I found <laughs> the, the funniest thing about you and Nasty specifically is that if you call someone something, especially during a show, that's their name. 
It does, you know, that's just yeah, what that's happened. That's the power of the microphone. Yeah. And so, you know, for those who don't know, my last name obviously is Storm. Born with it. And I've had people defy me on that. Like, no, what's your <laughs> real name? That's my name. Um, but because of Doctor Who and us meeting at a Doctor Who bar and the baby Storm Again that existed in the Doctor Who universe, you dubbed me Storm Again. And it stuck to a point where I forgot what show it was, but it was very early on after the nickname stuck. And I was introducing myself, I think, to Albert Cadabra for the first time. And Nasty is fixing something on stage. And I go, oh, hi, I'm Matt Storm. And she went, you're Storm Again. Yeah, no, we, we take... <laughs> it's, it's, I always tell people it's a lot like hanging out at the Hall of Justice. Yeah. You know, you may know that, that uh, Batman's name is Bruce Wayne, but you do not call him Bruce Wayne at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> He's Batman. Yeah. I and mean, burlesque is that way. Don't use people's real names. Sure, of course. And yeah, once you, once you get your name... Or your tagline or whatever, you're, yeah. you're kind of stuck with it. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, also. Like, I I only learned your real name recently, and I I like I still don't know Nasty's, and I don't need to. She's nasty, but the, I found that like some people are kind of obsessed with trying to find that stuff out. It's, it's just, so bizarre to me. It's massively inappropriate. It, there's a number of reasons. First of all, you're out you're out there in the public eye, and not at a, a success level where you have security. Right. You know, I'm not saying the venues don't have a security. I'm, I'm saying. You're out there, and and especially if you're doing uh, art stripping, but it's true of me too. Yeah, you can get fans, and yeah. you're you're living this tiny microcosm version of famous. Yeah, and I'm not again not pretending I'm famous, but yeah. I'm recognized from people who are already there, and people will get obsessed in weird ways. Yeah, and to have a stage name is protection. Yeah, um, and when people find out your real name, it puts you at risk. Yeah, or use your real name. So I think absolutely, and that's happened a lot. And it's not just you. Uh, it's happened to me a lot. It's happened to almost every performer where someone will do a hell of a overnight, you know, on Google and yeah. find someone's real name and walk up to their face and, and call start them calling them by their legal name. Yeah, and it's bad. It's yeah. uh, there's all kinds of things, and and sometimes it's just because you're a performer, and sometimes it's anything else. I mean, yeah. people have stalkers. People have restraining orders. People have all kinds of things. So, you know, my my advice is absolutely never, ever you know, try to find out uh, perform. But some people yeah. are very insulted by it. It's it's sort of a, it's a power trip thing. You, you yeah. definitely get it from a certain kind of alpha male guy yeah. where he will keep demanding that you tell him your real name. Yeah. You know, it happened to me actually the other night uh, oh, at wow. a place and just guy wouldn't let it go. You know, and it's actually, you know, and you, you can find it out. You can do a little Googling yeah. and it's out there. Um, but you know, there's all kinds of reasons. But also, frankly, it's what you choose to be called. Yeah. You know, you, like you said the other day, uh, the other, the other day, you said the other minute. You know, <laughs> I have never called Nasty Canasta anything but Nasty Canasta. <laughs> I very well know what know what her legal name is. That's not her name. Yeah. Her that's name. her legal name. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's that sort of idea. You are called what you want to be called. Yeah. Well, it's also to me like. For the, there are the few performers who I'm friends with them on the social medias with both right. their actual profile and then their performing profile. And like I look at their actual names and after knowing them so long as a performer, I go, that's not your name. Your name is this. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, you know, I can't, I guess you, it's one of those things is, especially in this kind of industry where you can kind of name yourself. That's what you want to be, and so right. why would you be called anything else? Exactly right. There's a lot. There's a lot of that sort of. I don't know. You you, you create your identity, and generally, you know, no one. Very few people are playing characters. Yeah, they're just playing an amped up, slightly more ridiculous version, version of themselves. themselves. Yeah, which is is a freedom I enjoy in the shows as I come out of my shell more is to just kind of play a kind of played up version of yourself. I it's, think you you ran sound for a show without a shirt on, so I think you're ready. Yeah, that in the was mix. The, that was the um, shag carpet show. Um, we did it, there was a show theme shag carpet. I think uh, nasty. I remember saying uh, she wanted to do a '70s show, but not a '70s show, so it was a shag carpet show. Right. And I wore a fur coat with a tie <laughs> uh -huh. and no shirt. Fun fact about that fur coat, Kita St. Sears uh, fur coat. Really? Uh, previous guest of the Crash Chords podcast, the other show I do. Yes. Uh, I didn't own a fur coat. My wife didn't own a fur coat. <laughs> I went on Facebook in the burlesque performers group that I'm a part of and went, who has a fur coat they want to lend me? And Kita went, I do. And so I went to her apartment and shopped for fur coats. That's the one that fit me the best. That's and, delightful. Which I still have. So, Kita, if you're listening, <laughs> we need to hang out. I need to give you your fur coat back. <laughs> uh, or maybe I don't. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it's been fun to kind of evolve. Also, I feel so comfortable around you and Nasty because uh, you've taken me in. Like, it's not like we're, we're, we, I feel like family at Wasabasco now. And that was really important to me when I made that kind of transition. You know, you make me feel welcome and I feel empowered and it's just a lot of fun. 
Well, well, it should be. Again, it's not. It's not an accident. It's not. Yeah. You know, we're not taking pity on you. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've been nothing but stand up and professional and supportive, and also part of the fun since you started working with us. So, um, before we start wrapping up, um, I figure there's stuff you want to promote. Stuff coming up. Are there any shows you want to direct people coming? This this will come out within the first couple of weeks of April. Um, I have a couple of shows banked, but if there's stuff coming up, you know, in, in April and May that you want to promote, feel free to tell the audience. The, the hilarious thing is there's so many shows that I never know exactly when they are. It's <laughs> probably on a website. So, okay. And that's the tricky part because uh, Wasabasco, and this is uh, advice I do have for anyone, never name your company a word that people can't spell. Wasabasco. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, it's great because we definitely get every domain name and anything else we want in the world because it's we're the only ones with the made up word. But you can't you can't just say it. <laughs> Because uh, it's hard to spell. But it's uh, wasabasco.com. And what I always tell people, the mnemonic device is uh, Wasabi Ass Company. That's what, that's what Wasabi uh, uh, Ass and Company shortened into Wasabasco. So uh, W A S A B A S S C O. And you go to the website, and that's going to tell you whatever show we have. And we have a, a show every three days. There you go. And they're all wonderful and all good and all different from each other. So pick one, come see it, bring a friend, bring a date, dress with a tie. Yeah, there you go. Even if you're a lady with wear a tie. Lady, ladies look good in suits. They do. Alex oh, absolutely do. one of the finest dressed human beings ever. Yeah, so. yeah. That, that, that is very true. All right, well, thank you so much, Doc, for doing the show. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.